Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, man. Uh, what the hell episode are we on? 80, 82, 83, something like that. Episode, uh, this is a uh, fan film podcast, episode 82, 83, one of those things. And, uh, of course, I've got my, uh, this is Christopher Mosier, and I have my uh, co-host there, Jeffrey Clark, with me. Say hi, Jeff. Wave to the audience, Jeff. Yeah, I'm waving. <laughs> <Que paso? laughs> and uh, we've got a couple guests today. We're going to start out with uh, Philip, Philip David Lee. Uh, he's so cool. He's got uh, three names. And uh, he's director slash uh, writer, and uh, he's done some a lot of screenplays and some independent films. So we'll talk. Can I say independent film? A lot of independent people don't like me to say that. Well, that's what it is. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're an independent film person and you don't like the term independent film, yeah, you're, you're kind of an idiot. <laughs> so <laughs> right, because right, exactly. It's like small press for comic books. I know you dabbled in that too, and. You know, some comic people don't like to hear that either, but that's what it is. Dude, you go out and you're doing like an on-demand printing and doing all your own shit and uh, you're small press. Exactly. I mean, you know, yeah. be what you are and be proud of it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we do have a mystery guest. I was hoping this Keith gets on because it, it does involve uh, Jeff and uh, Mike, who's our other sometimes co-host and uh and we'll get to that if he if he even chimes in. So we'll worry about that when he chimes in. And I told him not to get in here until uh, like uh, 30 minutes, 45 minutes after the hour. So we had uh, plenty of time with Phil. Yeah. All right, Phil, man. I'm gonna put you. I'm gonna put you in the spotlight and uh, get us into how you got into this crazy world. Of, I mean, and you're a writer. Is it just specifically screenwriting that you you particularly um, concentrate on, or? Um, you know, story, uh, you know, novels or blogging or any other that shit. Uh, whatever gets no. you into, into that. Whatever gets me into hell and trouble. Right. Uh, no, it's mostly it's mostly just um, screenwriting. I actually started out, you know, self-publishing uh, my own comic book, and uh, and that was back in like 1998. And then I decided to make a screenplay about it, but I made it too dark and. And then since then, it's just been a road to hell, so. Yeah. The Ghetto Blasters, that was it? Yeah, Ghetto Blasters. Yeah. Um, what got you into the comics? Were you a comic fan to begin with? Oh, yeah. When I was eight years old, I was getting my consoles out, and those were the days when you stayed in the hospital for, like, three days. So my uh, my mom bought me a bunch of comics. Back then, the cover price was 15 cents. Right. So... She bought a lot. Close to it, yeah. Um, and I just loved it. I just loved the pictures and the stories, and, you know, it was exciting. So I was collecting them for a long time, and then, you know, the cover price got too high. Yeah. Uh, it started hitting two ninety nine, and yeah, I think they're three ninety nine now. Um, I'm not even you know, sure. And, and when you think your target audience, their age starts at 13, 
and you're charging four bucks for a comic book, mm-hmm. which is basically the same page count as it was back in the you know early seventies. You're kind of pricing half of your kind of target <laughs> audience. You know, you're kind of pricing out your target audience. Yeah, right. Exactly. What were you saying? Especially that, when there's, I was just going to say, especially when you know, like you said, you don't, the kids don't have that kind of money, and and it's one of those where there are so many other forms of media and entertainment available now. That you really, I mean, if you pass that price point, I mean, you're not going to hook kids on comics like like we were when we were kids. There were yeah. lots of options for us, so I didn't know. Uh, did you have uh, any any particular titles that you that you liked that kind of influenced your writing or anything like that? No, no, I just uh, I was uh, always a, a Marvel. I was always a Marvel kid, um, but I did like some DC comics, so I would get uh, like Justice League because it had everybody in it. Mm. Yeah. Um but I don't know. I always uh, I always liked Marvel. Uh John Romita was my uh, favorite artist back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Steranko was one. Um yeah. but he didn't work as he didn't work as much as Romita did. Um but Romita was so clean when he drew. Uh mm. I just I just loved his style. Right, you go sit down. I just got to hear, I saw uh, Storanko last weekend. <laughs> yeah. No, I saw Storanko last weekend at Niagara Falls Comic Con. He was up there. Was, uh, a lot of a lot of big wig uh you know, artists and, and comic authors and things of that nature that so I never I liked comics as a kid, but I didn't like Chris was a he'd buy two co- two copies, you know, one to bag and board and one to read. Whereas I would read them but I didn't you know, I didn't collect titles regularly, so Oh, my mom went to a, my mom went to this tag sale and uh, she bought me this comic book rack. You know, it was one of these rotating ones, and it had yeah. twenty <laughs> pockets on each side and five sides, and it was amazing. So I just had everything in a comic book rack in my room. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah just to go back a little bit, I think um, as far as you're talking, the cover price two ninety nine, three ninety nine, or such. I think kids are sophisticated enough today, too, if they really want to get into comics, there's a way to get them without, you know, paying the cover price as long as they use, you know, their, their digital media. Um, like, I, I knew a person, it wasn't me, who downloaded, um, no, it was me, uh, who downloaded the, the entire run of uh, the Uncanny X-Men, um, you know, online, so I could read the whole series. I never went back and read the whole series. I just can say I have them all, but uh, I think kids are sophisticated enough now to not have to necessarily pick them up, don't necessarily need anything tangible in their hand, they'll just read them on their on their devices. Yeah, kids are sophisticated these days and they eat Tide Pods, yeah, okay. Right, yeah. and star condoms. <laughs> <laughs> but they are, uh, they are pretty savvy technologically. I'll say my five-year-old knows how to use his tablet and, the, and my smartphone better than I do. Yeah, so. well, definitely. I mean, I, I see magazines all the time, you know, iPhone guides for seniors and stuff like that. Yeah. I know I'm I'm 47 and I can't, uh, I, you know, I've, I've grown up with a lot of this technology, but it's like, man, you know, these kids today will never know eight tracks and cassettes and they don't even know what a record album is. Well, they do actually. Those are coming back, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, you know. MP3. We, we had to, remember we had to carry boxes of records or comic books or movies to the friend's house. Now you just stick ten thousand songs in your pocket. <laughs> yeah, yeah I haven't, I haven't advanced that far. <laughs> <Me> either. 
Well, I'm still a starving artist, so you know. Yeah, a lot of things. Uh, a lot of things I haven't upgraded. So. But you so did the ghetto blaster you working thing. on? I'm, I'm sorry, oh, sorry Jeff, go ahead, man. No, 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 no. I, we're, I mean, it's going to be three of us, maybe four, maybe five. <laughs> we're going to talk over each other, but um, right. go ahead, man. I was just wondering what what type of projects you have going on right now. What what's uh, anything you're in the middle of that uh, you uh, want to talk about? Well, I don't know how many how much detail I can give, but uh, uh, I had a I had a friend uh, who is a director, and he likes my writing. So we've worked on a couple of projects together, mm-hmm. um, and his boss, I guess you could call him. Um, likes my work too. So he connected me with a, another screenwriter who had a 110-page script that I felt needed um, a little bit more polishing and upgrading on certain plot points. So I'm working on that right now. I'm about halfway through it, and I hope to get it done by June 21st. So he can go and present it to this other guy and see if they'll finance the film. Uh, what's, you this know, Beverly, what's this Beverly Hill Bandits uh, thing there? Eric Roberts? Is that you? Sometimes IMDB is totally wrong, so if this isn't your project, let me know. If it is, obviously, talk about that. Um, well, that was one of the projects uh, oh, it was, okay. that, I, that I worked on uh, on a screenplay. They wanted to do kind of an um, African-American version of Home Alone. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so as a joke, I said, "Well, we could call it Homie Alone," and they liked it. I like that. And we went with it, but then when um, someone did the artwork for it, um, they did it so similar to Home Alone uh, that whoever was in charge of Home Alone, Paramount, or whatever company, uh, actually contacted them with a cease and desist order. So they changed the name to uh, Beverly Hill Bandits. Gotcha. Um, but wouldn't it be like a parody then? I mean, wouldn't you be covered under that or not necessarily? It's not necessarily a parody. Dude, I didn't get involved in the legality. No, okay. of I gotcha. Yeah. I mean, Mad Makers, I mean, it all the time, so... I mean, but the font they used was was almost similar, and and you know, had they done it in a, uh, I don't know, kind of like a, a graffiti style font or something like that, they might have got away with it. Yeah. Um, but it was just it was just too similar, and and I can understand the, the studio's perspective on that. So yeah, they're going to um, protect their uh, their uh, copyrights and their intellectual properties, I guess. Oh yeah. Um, but it was a, you know, it was a low budget film, so I don't, uh, I don't know why they would feel threatened. Mm, right. It's been a while. But they probably could have got Macaulay Culkin to star in it. Are <laughs> <laughs> you going to put him in blackface or something? Nah, I'm just kidding, of course. But, uh, but those are the, those are the, um, the folks I'm involved with now, and, uh, and I'm trying to make this this new script a uh, something that has a, has a nice rewatchability factor you know everything that we're working with now is is kind of in the ultra low budget range mm-hmm. um, so you know and when you're doing ultra low budget films um, 
it doesn't really matter who's in it as far as, you know, oh, we need an A-list actor and, and stuff like that. You just need competent people behind the camera. Uh, you need fantastic cinematography. You need great sound. Uh, and you need, you need a director that has, you know, an eye uh, for the image. Yeah. Some directors... Actors, yeah. You know, some directors think that it's just, oh, well, you know, setting up. See, a director's kind of like the head coach of a football team. Uh, you got to get the right players and you got to put them in the right spot and you have to come up with a strategy and you have to execute it. Um, but you also have to be, you also have to be uh, like a photographer. You have to have an artistic eye because mm -hmm. you can point a camera at two people and shoot it. But if you don't, if the angle is just off or the framing is just off a little bit, uh, you can turn what could have been a nice cinematic picture into just an amateur shot. Mm -hmm. um, and if, you, if it's not lit properly and, you know, you see someone making bunny shadows behind the actors, uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't have that right feel. And of course, your actors have to be competent, but there are so right. many people uh, out there that are good actors. I have a lot of friends on LinkedIn and Facebook that are, you know, um, good actors. Uh, and some of the female actresses I know are just, they're beautiful and they're talented, uh, but they don't have a big name. So, you know, if you put them in the right vehicle, you don't need uh, Scarlett Johansson. You don't need, mm -hmm. you know, all these people out there. You just need, you just need competent players, and you need competent people behind the camera to pull it off. Yeah, and I think that's a big issue with my issue, anyways, and I'm sure with a lot of people. I mean, so I don't necessarily need to be big actors in these movies. Um, you know, have a good story, and you know, they're all you know clamoring to get whoever's the big. You know, a person of the week or person of the year or whatever to be in their their films, and I think as far as as a film goer myself, um, I don't need that shit. Uh, just do a good story, Hollywood, and you seem to be getting away from that, and that's why people don't go to the theater. I mean, among other reasons, but I think that's you know a big chunk of it. Well, yeah. there's a lot of reasons. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, you have first of all, you have the cost of a ticket. Okay, which can range from anywhere between, like, say, 750 in small town communities up to $15, $17 in major cities. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have the price of refreshments. So let's say you want to take a date to the movies, and that's, you know, it's a $50 investment right there. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact that a movie will come out on DVD before you had to wait six months to a year before it came out on VHS. Now it comes out within four months. Yeah. So, and, and life goes by so fast, you can actually wait um, for the movie to come out on DVD because you have, you know, you have your 70-inch screen TV in your living room. You sit close enough, you're at the theater. Uh, and you can pause it for bathroom breaks. Um, <laughs> exactly. Right. So no one kicking your chair, no one talking, coughing. Yeah, really. I mean, you don't even have to shower or anything. Nice. So you know, look for barking. Um, 
so that's one of the reasons why. I mean, if you drop the ticket prices down, you can get more people into the theater. Uh, but you know, again, it all depends on the project. Let's say, let's say you have this in your mind, uh, a great screenplay. And I was talking to this one guy in uh, New Orleans, and he has, oh, I got this great screenplay, and blah blah blah. And I said, well, what genre is it? And he says, it's a drama. And I said, well, you got to be careful because, you know, statistically, dramas are a tough sell, especially if you want to try and get it into some sort of theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, you know, dramas are typically um, third or fourth in the market shares for genre. And, <clears throat> but it's like a five-to-one ratio of dramas coming out to the top two, which are action and adventure, and say the fourth one, which is usually comedy. So you can have, you know, 50, 67 films come out in action and adventure, 43 films come out in comedy, and yet 251 films come out as a drama, and they're only capturing the third spot in the market shares. Mm Mm-hmm. So, again, it's, it's a tough sell. Um, and he's like, oh, well, I don't care about the numbers. And I'm like, what? So <laughs> let me tell you something. <clears throat> if anyone ever says to you, I don't care about the numbers, walk away from them as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Because the film industry... Uh, is a very unique industry. It has to be the perfect balance between art and finance. If you're a painter, okay, you buy your canvas, you buy your paints, and then you sit by yourself in a room and paint. Okay? When you make a film, photographer the same way. You have a model, you have a subject, whatever, but you're still basically yourself. Uh, your equipment's a little bit more expensive than a painter, but you're still on your own. When you're making a film, you've got a ton of people working for you. And I don't mean 13.2 people. Yeah. Okay? Hundreds I mean, there are a lot. Um, you've got your sound crew, your camera crew, directors, assistant directors, people that deal with travel, people that deal with insurance, payroll people, actors, you know. Producers, editors, Everything, uh, and it's a it's a big financial investment. And what you want to do is you want to make a film that has a what I call a rewatchability factor, uh, so that people will see it, maybe see it again, and hopefully own it or at least download it legally. Mm-hmm. Because right. you got to because investors don't want it, and you know. Oh, I just I just do it for the art. I, I don't care if I lose money. I've never heard anyone on Shark Tank <laughs> say that. <laughs> well, you know, so, to piggyback off of what Chris was saying, you know, how, how you mentioned in that, it, it is a money game, and I think that's why Hollywood is so kind of wrapped up in churning out these prepackaged rehashes of, you know, 70s and 80s TV shows, whereas the independent writers and filmmakers are the ones coming out with all the new and interesting material. You know, I don't know if you want to speak on that. It's, it's uh, you know, I find that the people like yourself that are putting out 
um, new and interesting ideas rather than just same old rehashes. And it's, uh, you know, maybe because it's not as, as tried and true as some of the stuff Hollywood puts out, that's why it's maybe harder to, to get a foot in the door. Well, again, um, you have to go by uh, track record. Now, I don't have mm. a great track record, okay? I've directed one film, and that was in 2006. Uh, I directed it for about $2,200, but it wasn't, it wasn't one of these... Um, if you hear some whimpering in the background, that's my dog. She's in heat. <laughs> and she's Give her some action, Eloise, Phil. Eloise, calm down or daddy's going to drug you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> no, uh, tequila I don't drug my dog, okay? <laughs> anyway, um, so, but it wasn't one of these five actors, one location films. I mean, I had over 14 actors over 20 locations, and, and it was very much guerrilla shooting. Uh, you know, the problem was, yeah, there wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't the best quality, but we did the best we could, and uh, I'm very proud of the effort that everyone involved in put forth. So, and I'm confident that if I have a budget where I don't have to be the director and the location manager and the fight coordinator and the <laughs> caterer, uh, and I can concentrate on my craft, I could do a, a fantastic job. And, and since then, I've been doing you know, freelance work and, and trying to create projects that would get investors interested in the project. Um, I think I read somewhere that when you have a project, you have see, you can't just be a screenwriter anymore. You have to be, you have to have everything planned. You can't just say, "Oh, I got the screenplay, and and here I want you to produce it," uh, because you know a producer doesn't get paid until the budget's in either. So that means you give him a screenplay, he has to break it down, he has to do the financials on it, so he can make it an attractive package for investors you come to a producer with all that already in place, <clears throat> you make yourself a little bit more attractive commodity. Um, so, you know, that's what I try and do. I try and come up with stories that I think will be entertaining for me uh, because you can't sit there. I was talking to this one guy. He was a quote-unquote producer, and he said, Oh, I know what audience is like. Now, if you run into a person that says, I know what audience is like, <laughs> run away from them as fast as possible. <laughs> because, what are you, the great Kreskin? No, you don't know what audience is like. Um, you can try and be entertaining, but you know, audiences are made up of people. And... You know, everybody's different. Nobody is the same. You just got to find a fan base and support that fan base and hope that it's a big enough fan base to support you in future endeavors. So this is why I get mad when people say, I don't care about the numbers. I just care about the art. Because that tells me right there, you don't care about your investors. You don't care about your audience. Uh, and you're just kind of a moron. Yeah. Because yeah, it's an entertainment it's like a balance. Yeah. It's an entertainment industry. If you're not entertaining anybody, you shouldn't be in the industry. And that's a good thing uh, to bring up too, and it is a point that I did uh, write in my notes here. because um, 
uh, as you know, Phil, I, I write. Actually, I don't know if you knew or not, Jeff. Uh, Phil and I actually co-wrote a, a script uh, called Morgana X a few years ago. Um, I remember. I remember, the, yeah. I remember Morgana X. So, anyways, uh, which and Phil tried to sell it and went nowhere. He can, um, if he wants to elaborate on that later, that's fine. But I guess my point is, um, when I sit down to write, um, I don't. Maybe it's the wrong way to think of think of it. And Phil, I think you think this way too. I'm sitting down and writing for an audience. Maybe I should be sitting down and and writing for myself. But um, I don't really write that much anymore because I've tried so hard to get stuff out there. I've come so close to get ideas out there. Um, I've written for a show here in Rochester that um, was supposed to go on Netflix or Hulu, and that's that never uh, went to fruition. So um, maybe I think of it the wrong way. I should be sitting down and writing for myself instead of you know other people. But I find myself sitting down and writing for other people, and if no one's going to read it uh, based on my past experiences, um, then it's just there's nothing in me that that drives me to to continue to do so. Well, it's it's. You know, it's tough to find motivation. It all depends on, on how passionate you are about the story. Um, but again, you know, remember, you're trying to, you're, you know, normal, everyday people, okay? They have a job they probably hate. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when they go to the movies, they're going to spend, like I said, around 50 bucks. And they just want to kind of disappear for an hour and a half, two hours, and when they come out of the theater, you want them to just have this feeling that their money was well spent. Um, it's called marginal utility. And so, you know, if you're not entertaining anybody, um, it's just, uh, I'm sorry, I just got a note here. It's okay, are your dog handing you notes now? Yeah, I'm getting notes. Okay. So, I mean, recently we did a we did an independent film. Um, my uh, so, and we're we're in post right now, um, trying to get it out. It was directed by uh, Dorian Louis. Um, she's a real close friend of mine. Okay. And you know, she financed it herself, and and put it together and directed it and wrote it and she's very talented. She's a actress, singer, songwriter, um, chef. And uh, so right now we're in the final stages of, of post, but it's been, you know, you run into complications. So um, we're trying to just, we're trying to get that finished and get that out. Um, gotcha. And, Are you trying uh, to read and talk at the same time? <laughs> you can read. No, no, I'm just, I'm getting, I'm just distracted again. Eloise, okay. is, uh, she's driving okay. me crazy. All right. Um, no, I'm just trying. I was like Amtrak, you know. I was heading to New York, and next thing I know, I'm in a field in Indiana yeah. somewhere. <laughs> um. So yeah, we're doing that, and we're trying to get that out, and you know. The independent film process can be uh, full of bumps and sinkholes and everything else. That yeah, just yeah. Tear you up. Um, yeah. But getting back to getting back to what Chris was saying about writing, um, you have to 
you have to all right, let's say you have a story that you think is really good, okay? Uh, you have to remember that anybody reading your story doesn't have the same passion invested into it. So they might not pick up on it as quickly as, as you would like them to. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you got to help them with something, really. Well, yeah, yeah if, you it's gotta, your, if it's your baby, I mean, of course you're going to coddle it and yeah, take care of it, you know. And if it's someone else's baby, I'm not going to care as much, you know. <laughs> I get it. Well, again, you have to put into the script something that makes them care. Um, yeah. You may know something about the character that you didn't fully express in the script, uh, so it gets lost on the reader. But you know why it's there. You just didn't you just didn't develop it enough, uh, and that's that's one of the problems that you have. And you gotta just hope that you find someone with the same mindset uh, that will back you up. So I mean, there's just so many, God, there's so many hurdles you have to. All right, let's say let's say you have a project and you want to attach someone to it. All right. So your first mm-hmm. step is to go on IMDb Pro and try and find uh, their agent. So then you call their agent, but you only talk to their assistant, and you tell them, "Oh, I want to put you know your client in this this project." And the first thing they'll ask you is if it's fully funded. And if you say no, then they're like, "Oh, well, then the point's moot. You know, we're only interested in fully mm-hmm. funded projects." Mm-hmm. But if you go to an investor, they want to know if you have distribution. And if you go to a distributor, they want to know who's in it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's kind of like a vicious circle. Um, and you can't, you can't get one without the other. And if they all, uh, you know, you can tell investor, oh, I have this wish list, Okay. And you can put any name you want on it. Um, but then you've got to deal with the client themselves. Uh, let's say you're, you want to target this client, but um, you know, they want creative control over the script. Well, you know, I don't know what your credentials are as far as you know, creative control. When, if you demand changes that I don't agree with, boom you know, you run into this conflict. And, and you really don't need conflict when you're, when you're trying to plan a shooting schedule and, you know, everything is, is, is budget precise mm-hmm. because that just causes delays and delays are expensive. Um, so, you know, as an independent, you're, you have a certain amount of freedom as long as you get the financing, but you have to balance your budget to what you can realistically shoot. Um, and then you just have to execute it as precisely as possible with you know, a certain level of artistic eye so that it is nice to look at, it works as a whole, and that people will be entertained and enjoy watching your film over and over again. Mm-hmm. So that's where the rewatchability factor comes in. So there's just so many pieces of the puzzle that have to fit perfectly. 
that's why it takes, you know, when you hear about people, oh, it took me 18 years to get this project off the ground or, you know, it took me four years mm-hmm. to do this. And, and that's pretty much why. You just got to find the right pieces and then find the investor that has uh, confidence in your script. If you're doing a drama, okay, with uh, talented actors, but they're not high-profile actors, you got to make sure your budget is probably within, um, you know, you're either going to do it guerrilla style or your budget has to be within, say, 100K to maybe 500K maximum. Hmm. All right? Because that will, that will give investors uh, a higher level of confidence. If you do have an A-list actor, you have to accommodate hotels and travel and security and insurance and everything else. So that raises your budget. Um, so you don't want to sit there and promise someone, oh, well, we'll give, we'll give your client $5 million to be in this picture and then wind up having a budget of, you know, 12 to $15 million because, and I, or I read this formula, I don't know if it's accurate, but they said a film has to make 373% of its original budget in order to break even. And that's if you go through the whole distribution process and depending on what they spend on um, P&A, prints and advertising. Right. Um, you know, again, a lot of factors go in. So you can't just be a screenwriter anymore. You have to be, you have to be a business person. And you have to make sure that the proposal you create gives your investor the highest level of confidence for a return on investment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never, um, yeah, I never considered it that way. I always wanted to sit down and write and here, take it. <laughs> you know? But I, I understand what you're saying. I know it doesn't work that way, but uh, it should. No. I mean, I would think that the um, at this point in time, the uh, the best writers with the highest level of investor confidence are kind of like Hallmark card writers. Yeah, <laughs> you know they don't have to write that much. Yeah. And, you know, well, the good thing investment. is, uh, yeah, I mean, you got your Netflixes, your Hulus, your cra- your Crackles, your without what am I missing? Amazon and the 19 million other streaming services that are coming along that are looking for content, and um, so that gives a really good opportunity for uh, your smaller films. At least, I mean, I'm not. I have no aspirations to be out and be a millionaire. I'd certainly love to make a living, a uh, comfortable living, uh, writing, and so I'm, I'm sure so do you. So without those outlets, I mean, hopefully maybe that's, um, you know, those, that $200 million picture uh, that they were going to make, um, you know, someone can make, I don't know, 50, 50 movies out of that or something and have 50 movies on set. I don't know if this is making any sense, but 50 movies on said streaming services and give more opportunity for uh, pe- people such as you and I. Well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I don't understand what how budgets get to be as big as they do. Yeah. You know, and, and you look at the credits and, and there's thousands of names on it and you realize, yes, those people have to be paid um, and I, I, you know, so I haven't really hit that that area yet. And someday I will, I'm sure. But right now, I'm just right now. I'm trying to. I have this movie that I can shoot in ten days, and it's got about a 60k budget to it. 
Um, and it's it's hard to find investors for that. You know, it's a comedy, so it's it's fourth in the uh, genre market. Um, films similar to the nature of the content of this project have you know grossed 1.3 million uh, domestically. I don't know worldwide. So it seems like <clears throat> it seems like an easy e easy deal. Um, and I've bounced it off people before and said, you know, I had this one friend who wanted to make a movie um, because he wanted to test a distribution model that he was working on. And I said, well, do this film. It's called Open Mic. Um, I can shoot it in 10 days. You guys can edit in three months. And, you know, in four months, you'll have a movie to put in your distribution model. Uh, but then he had other ideas. So he went with another idea. Um, and it was a little bit more, I can't think of the word right now, um, which doesn't really bolster my confidence as a writer. <laughs> but he went, with a, he went with a different project. Uh, and then two years later, you know, the production ran into problems and he was unable to finish the film. Um, so I, you know, yeah, you have to have a little bit of logic too in this, in this industry. Uh, and some of the things that I've seen defy logic mm -hmm. and you wonder, well, why did you go in that direction or, um, you know, so I, I just uh, I just keep plugging away. You know, it's like fishing. You just keep baiting the hook and throwing the line out there. <laughs> and hoping you... to catch something there. Yeah, exactly. yeah okay, something that you don't have right? to throw back. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, so like... I feel like I'm monopolizing the uh, the questions. Are you got anything for Phil? Oh, well, I was just going to say, I guess it's, it, it just takes one time. Like you said, you got to keep baiting the hook. And, you know, you get out there – you get that perfect storm where the, the story and the acting and the, the budget and everything comes together. And then, you know, then you become an, you know, known. And then I guess that you've made your, your bones, you've got some credibility and that might kind of open the door for you. So. Um, yeah. Or what you can do, you know, you, what you want to kind of do maybe um, is let's say you take a short film and you shoot it for anywhere between 20 to 50 K uh, and you're successful enough where it generates, say, 1.5 mil in total sales. Um, if, you've, if you've invested your own money into it, then you take some of that 1.5 mil and you make a bigger film. Um, and that way you don't have to deal with investors and you don't have to deal with the perpetuity and all this other stuff. Uh, and then you just keep building on that until the point where you can um, finance your own, you know, $16 million picture, $20 million picture, and mm -hmm. keep going on and on. Kind of like uh, Kevin Smith you, did. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, you know, and then Kevin, I don't know, Kevin, you know, he did Clerks, and it was very successful. Um, but then you, gotta, you also got to be careful that your own ego doesn't shoot you down. Yeah, sure. Because um, sometimes when you have complete control, you also make some bad creative choices, and 
you know, if you're working by yourself and, and you make a bomb, that could really that could really mm-hmm. sidetrack you. And again, it's it's all about balance. Um, so you just you know, like I said, you just got to be careful, and you just got to make sure that what you do is is entertaining. And if you're if you're a pretty entertaining person, um, even with like say a group of friends, uh, then you have a pretty good chance of of keeping that. You, you know, if you have a good sense of humor or something like that, that's something that you don't lose. It's something that's always with you. It's it's kind of like um, you know instinct. You know, if you have a certain level of instinct, um, that's something that stays with you pretty much at the same level. It doesn't diminish. But there if you go, make Jeff, that, you yeah. got to start writing, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've had enough people over the years because I, I like to tell jokes and stories. Oh, you know, you're funny. You should do stand-up. And, yeah, I've seen enough bad water cooler comedians <laughs> try stand-up that it didn't work out. Cause, yeah. You know, eh. I, I think you're, there, you do have to have a, a certain talent for it, too, and then, you know, realize your limitations. Like you said, don't, don't let your ego... Uh, outweigh your talent well you know stand up you know (laughs) yeah stand up is is a tough thing too if you're doing you know if you're doing 15 10 minute sets at a comedy shop um you're all right you know if if you can't make people laugh in the 10 15 minutes that you have don't ever go back on stage again (laughs) right Uh, right. (laughs) but once you get to that um comedy concert thing where you're doing 70 minutes of material on your own yeah (laughs) yeah that's a performance um that's just not getting up there and telling jokes that is that has to be timed it has to be choreographed it has to be uh it has to be well rehearsed uh, because it's tough getting up there and talking for 70 minutes to people and making them laugh. And you figure you have to make them laugh every 20 to 30 seconds. So, Or you'll lose them quickly. Yeah, that's a lot of jokes. <laughs> I guess that's it's similar to when you're writing or, or making a film in that you have to keep, you know, the, you, can't, you have to be constantly advancing the story and, and keeping people hooked. Or if you lose interest, it, you know, it's all over. Yeah, I mean, I've read some scripts for people um, as a, a consultant, um, and you know, they uh, <clears throat> like the person I'm writing with now. Um, his name's Mark, and he's very open to changes. And I've pretty much changed the entire structure of what he originally gave me. Um, but I've worked with clients before that just do not understand change. They don't understand progressions of logic, uh, which I feel is very important in a screenplay. Uh, Case in point, okay, I had this one client who had this uh, story about a female assassin. And and it started... Yeah, yeah. But this one started as uh, her father was kind of um, pimping her out in, in a, like a fight club scenario. And then she was kidnapped and brought to this assassination school where she was trained to become the world's greatest assassin. Um, but then she left, got married, and 
to make a long story short, her husband was behind the murder of her parents and her brother. Um, and so the story was that she finds out that her husband was behind the, the hit on her parents and her brother. Uh, primarily it was the brother, but the parents got caught in the crosswalk. Uh, and she, she wanted, she wanted the, the main character to find this out while the husband was talking on the phone to someone in the next room. Um, and I said, well, and then, and then she was supposed to go to Europe. So she finds this out. She overhears her husband talking about this setup on the phone. And then she's so distraught, she goes to Europe. And I'm like, but she's a trained assassin. If she heard that her husband was behind the murder of her parents and her brother, she would have grabbed like a pencil and killed him right there. Mm-hmm. And so I rewrote the script so that she went to Europe after the murder of her family. And then while she was in Europe, she finds out information that her, that her husband was in charge of this. And then she goes back and seeks her revenge. And she's like, she's like, no, no, no. She has to find out while she's in the house with her husband. And yet nothing mm. changed. Um, you know, she still went to Europe after that. And I said, well, that doesn't make any sense. And I couldn't talk her out of it. And uh, I just said, you know what? I'm probably not the right writer for you. Uh, and you got to know when to walk away. You don't have time to argue with brick walls because in 100 years, there'll still be brick walls. Right. Um, no compromise, you know. Right. I mean, I had this other client that... Um, she was a producer. She had the script. She wanted me to help her write a business plan. The budget was, target budget was $6 million. I read the script. It was awful. I said, I can't write this business plan. And she said, why? You said, you're going to help me. And I said, I know, but the script is so bad. I wouldn't feel right trying to convince investors to put $6 million into this um, because they'll lose their money. I said, let me, uh, I'll tell you what. I said, give me 30 days. Let me rewrite the script. And then we'll present it to the original writers and and see what happens. So I basically took the first 30 pages, kept them kind of intact because they were pretty good, and then rewrote the last 60 pages in five days. Sent it back to her. She loved it. The original writers hated it. Okay. Um, they couldn't give me any reason why they hated it, uh, but they just hated it because it wasn't their work. Not because it was a better script or it would make more money or it was a better story and be more exciting, but it just wasn't their idea. So, you know, I walked away from that one too because, like I said, you just got to, sometimes you just got to walk away. <laughs> Hey, someone chimed in. Is this uh, is this Blanky or is this Mr. X? Mr. X. Hey, Mr. X. How are you, man? Good, good. How's it going? It's going all right, man. Hey, if we could put you aside, uh, Phil, just for a second, we're gonna get back with you, okay? No, oh, okay. please. All right, or you can chime. I mean, you can chime in anytime you want. Um, <laughs> I'm just. I'll go to the next. I'll go to the next spot on the couch. <laughs> yes, you are correct, sir. <laughs> All right, man. I was kind of hoping. Um, I was kind of hoping Mikey would show up because uh, this kind of involves both of you. Um, 
Yeah, it's no one Phil would know, or I'd have him involved in this as well. But um, I'm, you know that game where you ask um, questions on uh, someone maybe behind the screen or something, yes or no questions to find out who the person is. Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Really. I'm gonna I'm gonna have you do that with Mr. X, and I'm gonna see if you can figure out uh, who Mr. X is. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Is that okay, uh, Mr. X? Oh yes, yes. Go okay, ahead. Okay, just we'll we'll start with yes or no questions, and then if it goes on too long, then we'll get into more specific questions. It may right. take more specific questions. I, I I'm sure. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, Jeff. Man, you're you're on the spot, man. Ask him a yes or no question. See if you you can figure it out. Okay. Uh, let's see. What kind of question do we have? Uh, are you somebody I would know from the movie industry? Oh uh, no. Okay. Uh, somebody I would recognize from the world of comic books or pop culture? Uh, yeah, pop culture, I would say. Okay. Uh, let's see. I don't know. Um, let's see. Uh, somebody currently... Uh, what current projects I would know? Oh, uh, no, no. Unfortunately, uh, some, no. Okay, so somebody that would uh, I would know previous work, though. No, not even that. Hmm. Oh, I don't know. Have All right, yeah, let, me, let me throw this. Let me throw this. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying, are you somebody I've met uh, in person before? Yes. Okay. All right, go ahead, Chris. No, that that was a good question. <laughs> I was oh, going to yeah, just say that. Question. I was just going to say that. It's someone you've you've met before. Okay. <laughs> if I may ago. add, I would think that I would yeah. say that Jeff's uh, voice recognition skills need a little sharpening. Right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. Well, the voice does sound familiar, but you know, oh, I'm yeah. old and my memory's terrible. Oh yeah, and we all were drinking at that time. <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. That's a good hint. There's a little, yeah, there's a little, I mean, there's always beer involved, but there's a little beer oh, involved. Oh, yes, and there was a lot of beer involved. Yeah. Well, let's see here. Was this uh, uh, in the last 10 years? Uh, more than that. Yeah. Right, the last 20 That's years. That's been, wow. 20, yeah, 20, yeah, something like 20 okay. years. Right, Just keep in mind, the, uh, Jeff, that I've, I've met him face-to-face and Skeeter's met him face and, and me, okay, so. Yeah, all at uh, the same time. Is this somebody uh, that we were at the uh, 35th anniversary Star Trek convention in Vegas? Yep, that's it. Is it Fabian? Yep, that's it. Oh, wow. Hey, 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 I knew wow. the voice was familiar, and then when we started, it was 15 <laughs> to 20 years ago, and, and Mike oh, yeah. was there. Okay, so. Oh, yeah, you yeah. got it. How you been? Good, good. How's it going, my friend? Fantastic. You know, living the dream. Kind of oh, yeah, we all are. We all are, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it was the 30th. It was the 35th? It was 35th, yeah, it was 2001. Oh, yes, yes. It was the weekend before September 11th. I remember you guys were home on September 10th. Yeah. 
Wow, amazing. Towers, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That We got back Sunday. Monday I went to work, and I couldn't go back home. Yep. I was in Jersey. Yeah, I was in Los Angeles visiting my brother. Oh, my God. Wow. Hey, Phil, are you, uh, you a Star Trek uh, fan at all? Oh, yeah. I love Star Trek. Oh, okay, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, we oh, went yeah. there. Uh, hey, explain what it was, Jeff. The, well, there's the, the, the 35th anniversary convention, and we went to, uh, 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 coincidentally enough, stayed at the New York, New York. At least uh, me and Mike Skeeter did. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a great convention. And then, uh, yeah, you guys all flew home Monday. I drove to Los Angeles to visit my brother, uh, who, uh, strangely enough, uh, on our subject, was, uh, you know, a writer and uh, in, trying to be an independent filmmaker. And, uh, you know, uh, that we were there when the attack set and, uh, you know, the rest is uh, unfortunate history, but um, yeah, it was uh, it was quite a weekend though beforehand. Oh yeah, a lot of fun, yeah. a indeed. lot of autographs and a lot of fun, a lot of drinking. Yeah, in fact, I, I, I went to Niagara Falls Comic Con last weekend, and I was thinking like some of the cons over the years that we've had, and that was one of the best ones, so that Vegas one. Oh yeah, and a coincidence today, we just verified for the New York Comic Con today. Uh, today. It started at 10 a.m. Uh, we waited on a queue for like an hour, and we got the two tickets. Nice. Becoming like quite the event. That sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah, it, John. It's getting harder to get in. It's getting harder. Yeah. They make it more and more difficult. Yeah. I was and at the first hour one. Is, for me. Yeah. Is that still in, it's still Javits? Javits yep, Center, that's right? it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. The Javits yeah. Center, yeah. yep. Yeah. 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 When it was only like a twenty twenty five dollars, now it's almost fifty five mm-hmm. to sixty dollars. It's wow. insane, yeah. and you it's can't like walk through. The place is so crowded; it's insane. Yeah, yeah it looks at from the things I've seen online. So, oh yeah, right there. The ba- yeah, they say uh, the best ones are San Diego, where you see yeah, everything. San Diego, New York. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we've got one actually. It's actually there's one here in Rochester this weekend, but. Uh, you know, it, it is, you know, Rochester's a smaller town, so you're going to get don't, talented people, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's, they're lesser known, you know, they're not the, I think the big name was the, uh, the, the old pro wrestler, Jake the Snake Roberts. Oh, really? Oh, wow. So, and, you know, as far as, like, celebrities, and then, you know, of course, some very talented comic artists and writers, it's just, because I'm not, you know, a comic book reader avidly, I, I'm not familiar with their work, it's not the, no knock against their talent, I'm just not familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Whereas, like, last week and some of the big names were there, you know, Jim Steranko and those guys, people that are kind of legendary in the business. Sort of. Rochester, we, you know, we get yeah. people that are they're talented, just less heralded. Yeah, now, yeah. Uh, Fabian and uh, Phil, if you want to chime in, too, uh, go ahead. Have you guys seen what the – I don't even remember what the hell the new show is called. Um, have you guys checked out the new show at all? Oh, the new Star Trek? Yeah, it's very good. Oh, very, good. Star Trek. Yeah. very good. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I got to say Run that they, 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 they hit it out of the park. They, it's a very good show. Yeah. I, it's on, unfortunately, you have to pay like 10 bucks, unfortunately, to get it. It's CBS All Access. And yeah. I hate mm-hmm. that they have to make you pay, but if you want to see good shows, you know, and, and that's Star yeah. Trek, I got to say, they, they did a very good first season. And the girl from, uh, dark, the, but I like from it. the Walking Dead. Yeah, she was Sasha on The Walking Dead. Oh, that's right, that's right. Did mm-hmm. she die on that show, I'm assuming? Yeah, on The oh, Walking Dead. Oh, she died Dead, on yeah, the, uh, yeah, the Walking ago. Dead, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess they're going to kill off, uh, what's his tits there, uh, Rick 
Rick Grimes. Yeah, yeah he well, wants to gonna, leave the show. He wants to leave the show. Right. I think he wants to do movies or, or something like that. Maybe they won't kill him off. Yeah. But, yeah. Huh. You watch that at all, uh, Phil? Anything like that, The Walking Dead? Or? No, no. I, and I haven't seen um, the new Star Trek show, and I was a no. little wary of it because, you know, yeah. the uh, letters after it are STD, so it kind of scared me <laughs> a little bit. Star Trek um, Discovery. It's, it's definitely dark. But, oh, yeah. You know. It's definitely a different show. It's not like the uh, the last Star Trek Enterprise, which was a disaster. Yeah. Scott Bakular. Oh my God. Yeah. That, that really. Now, hey, 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 hey. I don't I have know. All I don't four know. seasons of Enterprise, and I. I was gonna say I liked show. it too, but uh, not a lot of people did. But I enjoyed it. Well, I know it was a little too late at the end. Like they 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 tried to make it la- uh, better the last two seasons, but the beginning mm-hmm. two was like too slow. Yeah, I'm a big Scott Bakula fan since Quantum Leap, though, so mm-hmm. yeah, I always enjoyed it. But, you know, yeah, I mean, it was not re- well as well received in the Star Trek fan community, but, you know, each their own. <laughs> well, I, oh, yeah. think, I think one of the, the best two-parters of, of Star Trek Enterprise was the um, explanation of the difference of the Kirk Klingons as opposed to what the Klingons look like in Next Generation and in the movies. You know, trying to make augment, <laughs> when they were oh, trying yeah, to make yeah, augment yeah. Klingons, and uh, mm-hmm. I thought that was brilliant writing. I mean, that was they were trying to do what now? What was it? What was they that? were trying to make? All right, so you know, Khan was an augmented human. Okay, yeah. So they were trying to make augmented Klingons, and the they were using um, human DNA to try and do that from the augments. Mm. Um, and that's what erased the ridges from their forehead and made them look uh, more human. And, and mm. so that kind of fit into the, the original series-looking Klingons. And uh, I just thought that was, that was a, a brilliant plot device that they well, yeah, because it explains something and it's, you know, becomes part of the, the, the lore of the, uh, that universe. So it was kind of cool. And I, and I believe they also did that on Deep Space Nine also. They tried to explain how they changed from the green ones that we saw in the 60s to the ones they had on the, uh, the modern movie, the, the Star Trek, the motion picture, you know, the, one, the ones we recognize now. Mm-hmm. I believe yeah. they also did that on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, it's fun. I do like how they do the continuity through the series, you know, and it's, uh, you know, it doesn't always work that way. In fact, I, that was my one complaint with the new series, The Discovery. I didn't quite like, I liked the series, but the way the Klingons looked in it, I don't know. Yeah, that, I guess it's that because is it's a it's change from my, from my traditional, you know. Exactly. I don't like change. I'm, uh, you know. I'm an old guy. I fear change. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah, we got we to gotta go with the flow, like they say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess everything's got to move on. You've got to make it more modern. So. Oh, yes. And the Cleons did modernize. <laughs> yeah. yeah did, uh, what's his face? Uh, God damn it, I can't. His, his daughter hosts Face Off there. Does he still do the makeup on uh, Trek or no? Do you know what the hell sure. I'm talking about? You ever watch Face Who Off, anybody? No. no. Oh, wait, uh, you talking about the movie with Travolta and Nicholas No, King? no, no. Face Off's the TV show on the Sci-Fi channel. Where oh, no, okay, no, I've not seen it. Um, and then the chick that uh, hosts the show is, um, I can't remember, uh, I can't remember her damn name, but her father he did the majority of the makeup on Deep Space Nine. Uh, I think uh, Voyager yeah. and the Next Generation, I can't think of the 
his freaking name. I mean, he's only, like, really famous. Shit. Anyways. I was just wondering if she did the makeup on the new show or not. Maybe. <laughs> oh, well. I'm, I'm sure she's flattered that you mentioned her in spirit. <laughs> hey, well, what's her name? <laughs> oh, well. Carol or Mary or June or yeah, something, something, like that. something like that. I'm sure anyway. if you went down the book of names, sooner or later you would run into her name. Yeah, exactly. She's a hot blonde, so uh, I'll give her that. Mm. Mm. You know, what's sad about that they, you know what's sad that these Star Trek conventions are not as numerous as they used to be? Like, no. uh, the, the last one they held in New York was like a year ago, and I think that was because Leonard Nimoy had passed away, and I think they had his son uh, there. And yeah. uh, I went to that one, but it wasn't like the Star Trek uh, conventions of yesteryear. It was very small. Right. The wares were very small. And the... Uh, the people that spoke, they didn't have. They had very few guests. It's like, wow! So how this thing has died down. I'm glad I caught it when it was in its infancy, right. you know, when it was big, and it was nice. And they had, you know, Fedora. I think is the one that used to hold like the best ones because you paid one big price, you paid one, and you got everybody's autograph. It was like guaranteed, mm-hmm. and that yeah, was yeah. That's how it was when we used to. Now was that the Dave Scott dude? To the Dave Scott did the one in. Uh, yeah, that was slanted Fedora. But, yeah. It was Fedora. Yep, Fedora. Yeah, he, he, went out, he went out of business. Yeah, he fucked yeah. some people over, and then, uh, yeah, he was gone. Yeah, I think that 9-11 thing also had a, something to do with it. It's like it just destroyed the convention business. No one wanted yeah. to travel anywhere anymore. Yeah, that's understandable, I guess. Now, Phil, what mm-hmm. part of the country are you in? Oh, I'm New York. Uh, I'm in Havistro, upstate New York. I'm in, uh, well, I'm past the Tappansee Bridge. It's not that, that upstate, but it's Rockland County. All right. Yeah, I moved from the city. I moved from the Fabian, you, that's moved you, right? to Rockland County. Huh? That's Fabian's? That's where you are now? Yes. Okay, Phil, so what part of the country are you in? I am in Bangor, Maine. Bangor, Maine. Okay, so you're on the East Coast. No, we're all the East Coast this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, I was just curious. Cause I, Plus you know, Stephen I, King I, country. <laughs> yeah, usually you only get them in the big cities. They have like now New York and Philly and Boston and L.A. and Vegas. So. Well, Maine, you know, Maine is a great place to visit, a great vacation spot. Like, you know, January, February, it's awesome to go there because um, there's absolutely hardly any snow. Yeah, yeah and it's, 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 <laughs> Maine is, uh, is the number one place for Lyme disease. So it's always oh, good. Yeah, oh, nice. That's, that's oh, good to wow. the Lyme, the Lyme disease state. That's good to be known. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to the Lyme disease state. Oh, you're going to Maine? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. There was a reason Stephen King wrote a lot about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we actually live. <laughs> we oh, actually man. live like a block and a half away from his house. Oh, wow. oh no kidding! That. That's wow. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So, but I have not, I have not, old. I have not met Mr. King yet. So, uh, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty legendary author to live so close by. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But if you ask yeah. me, uh, what's his favorite? What's my favorite book of his? Um, I'd have to sadly say I haven't read any of his work. So. Oh, yeah. really? I've seen the movies mostly, yeah. My sister's yeah. a fan yeah. for his books, but mostly my experience with him is the movies based on his books. So. Yeah, I think, it, so. I think I made it halfway through The Stand. That was about the well, I read The Stand because I liked the miniseries, but, you know. Yeah. And I've been to the hotel where he wrote The Shining when I lived in Colorado. So oh, wow. That was pretty cool. Wow. 
Mm. Yeah, he uh, there was uh, the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park. He got he and his wife were stranded there on a skiing trip, and uh, there's a creepy old hotel that is purportedly haunted. And so he basically set that whole thing, you know, kind of yeah. came up with it in a weekend. And they're supposed to do a sequel. Cool. They're doing a sequel uh, about his son. The, the, you know, Jack Nicholson's character's son. Supposedly that's supposed yeah, to be coming Danny out. Danny Torrance. And that guy's like our age. So. For me, it'll always be it. it. It was a good book. Yeah, and a good movie. I never read like it. Like the, the newest yeah. one, is, the newest movie is very good. Yeah, not There's supposed to be a part two on that one. Oh, it? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, there is going to be part two. Mm-hmm. Where they're now grown up. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah, that, hey, like a two, year, the, two years ago, I, I got to meet, no, uh, lie. Yeah, two years ago, I got to meet Stan Lee at a Comic-Con. That was big. Oh, wow. Me. Oh, wow. That was very big. I said, oh, I, yeah, I, I actually got to take a picture with him and an autograph. That was really big. I said, pretty cool because I mean, the guy's what, 90-something now. Yes, yeah, and still going strong, still with the absolutely. jokes and everything. I couldn't believe it when this guy was like, yeah was talking and everything. And it was like, you know, it was so youthful. It, it was insane. And they said, I, I didn't even say a word. Of it, so <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> He's had some weird-ass uh, press lately, too. He, someone pointed a gun at him, and some people oh, are coming really? out. Yeah, saying oh, I know that. The sexually, you know, all the sexual abuse uh, claims that are coming out. Oh, like yeah. Some chick came out on that about him, and or uh, it was like nurses or something, house nurses, housemaids, something yeah. like that. Oh, Never heard that. Oh. Yeah, yeah, well, he did, he does call women creatures, you know, like that's the old. <laughs> that's his host. Yeah, but yeah, he's he, he, we heard him on the panel, and he kept to- calling his host this beautiful creature and this beautiful creature. You know, I think he must have repeated it like a thousand times. Yeah. But I guess that's his age, you know, that's, uh, you know, not that it's forgivable, but that's like, yeah. that's his code, you know, that's where, how he was born, you know, I mean, that's his uh, era, I guess. Different yeah. era, I was just going to say, he used to call women dames and broads. And yeah, oh, yeah, lapis. dames, broads, yeah. yep, chicks, everything, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that now, heaven forbid. No, that's <laughs> great. It's crazy. It's like, well, you know, you can't relax anymore. It's like, you got to measure your words now. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if that'll change sci-fi, the way sci-fi is produced. I, I wonder. Well, that's a good thing about sci-fi line. and stuff like that. They can kind of take, you know, issues and kind of bend them so they're not, you know, point blank in your face, I guess. Exactly, yep. Like the old Star oh. Trek did. Right, well, exactly. Oh, maybe that's something Phil can speak to. When, when you're writing, do uh, you have to, I guess, you have to kind of use some, I don't know, restraint, the way you write, if you're going to be working with actresses. I mean, just because of the, the, not because of anything we're doing wrong, but because of the culture out there, uh, you know, everything that's kind of going on in the the film and and entertainment industry. I mean, is that something you have to kind of keep in the back of your mind when you're writing, or? Uh, No, not really. I mean, uh, well, you know, there's so many... um, actresses out there if you write something that's objectionable to one actress i'm sure you could find another actress that will uh i mean you want to try and keep your cast comfortable on the set you know you want to try and run a a fun set for the most part Um, makes it more enjoyable for everyone i guess yeah yeah And, and, and as far as like the sexual harassment stuff goes um 
you know, anyone that exhibits that kind of behavior has some has some problems. Yeah, um, not going to be on the set very long. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't tolerate that kind of behavior because it's not needed. It's really right. uh, unnecessary. Um, so. You know, I mean, what's your motivation behind making a stupid comment, um, you know, trying to make people feel uncomfortable? Um, right. Yeah. You know, if you like somebody, let's say let's say you're a, a crew member and you like this actress, uh, there's probably nothing you can do or say that's going to make her fall instantly in love with you. Right. So, you know, saying something that's going to make her feel uncomfortable is not going to help you either. And if that's your mindset, you know, you've got problems. Uh, so uh, it's just, you know, just kind of keep everything professional. Um, yeah. You know, and if they have a, a personal issue or something uh, and they want to talk to you about it, that's fine. You know, you can try and be a counselor. But, you know, for the most part, it's, it's just let's get the shot. Let's get the hell out of here. Right. Um, yeah, it's just a different world we live in, I guess. Now, I, where yeah. you know everybody kind of gets triggered by something, and uh, so I didn't know if that was a consideration during the creative process or not. Not really. It sounds like so. No, I. Well, again, you know, you can sit there and write whatever you want, um, and if let's say your project gets picked up and um, you're not directing it, someone else is directing it. There's going to be changes made. So yeah, fair point. Everybody has uh, their creative input. Um, hopefully, they are as creative or more creative than you are. Um, I mean, I've had people give me suggestions about changing a script that didn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, and it's just like, yes, thank you for your input. Click. Don't ever call me. <laughs> Goodbye. Don't ever call again. I got you. <laughs> It's All right. So we go up. I, mean, I guess we can close her up. And uh, unless you get any other questions there, Jeffrey? Uh, nothing I can do. No, we're good. We're good. Yeah. You're a good Fabian. Okay. Fabian's, oh, yeah, uh, Fabian's working yeah, blast on his... Yeah, uh, past. This is a blast in the yeah, past. I tell yeah. you, it was nice hearing from you guys. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic catching up with you. You know, thank you, Phil, for taking the time. I enjoyed talking to you. And, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Phil, you got anything here, else to... Anything are you working on? Anything you want to plug? Anything? I think Fabian's working on a six pack. But what, what are you working? Uh, on? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Do you have a camera in my house? Or what's going on? <laughs> Go ahead, Phil. The floor is yours. What's that? I was talking. To, I don't even know who answered. I was just gonna open the floor to Phil. See if he had anything you any final thoughts? Anything he's working on? Anything he wants to plug? Um, any uh, accolades he wants to give to us? Anything he wants to say? <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on and uh, yeah. letting me well, kind of, Thank uh, you. just talk about my views. I mean, sometimes, um, you know, I say things and, and, and people don't hear me. Um, and then, like, one of the things I always hear, uh, which does me no good whatsoever, was Phil? I should have listened to you. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. Hopefully, someone will listen to me and uh, think, okay, now I have uh, focus and, and direction, and and I can go forward because I was at mm-hmm. a I was at a standstill. Um, 
Um, and I'm always I'm always willing to kind of help people out um, and try and I think everything every idea is doable. Um, yes. But it it may change from the original idea. Um, I mean, if you're writing a novel, that's fine. You can do that. Um, you know, if you're writing haiku, you can keep it the way it is. But you know, when it comes to a screenplay, there's there's a lot more to consider than yourself. Uh, and if the changes suggested make sense and enhance the project for the better, great. If suggested change, don't be so desperate. Uh, to compromise the message of what you originally intended. Um, so if somebody wants to make changes that you feel you just can't live with, just walk away. Uh, mm. there's, there's plenty of opportunities to do things closer than what you originally wanted than completely compromising and changing it so that you can't live with it. Here, here. Oh, wow, that's good. Yeah. That's good. That's some. That's yeah. some. Almost something that uh, M. Night Shyamalan said uh, when uh, Weinstein, uh, Harvey Weinstein, the guy that's in Big Trouble, wanted to change his script, and he was like adamant about not changing it. He was like, in, like going crazy. He even cried to the. I think he he went to the main actress who had like a a lot of power or something, and she went to him and said, "Listen, this is the way he wants to do it." Why are you changing it? And he actually stood with his idea, and it worked out. He was on a Howard Stern interview, and he said that 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 story yeah. that you just described right now. And then Night Shyamalan was like, "No, this is the way it is. I don't want to change. This is how I feel it must be done." And uh, and they did it his way, and it worked out. It was called The Sixth Sense. Yeah, good movie. Mm-hmm. Because he he kept to his guns, and that's and he didn't want anything changed. Harvey Weinstein wanted to to do this, that, and this, and and he said no, I don't want it changed, and that's what yeah. that's what he did. Well, well, there's a there's a difference between being stubborn uh, mm-hmm. and hurting yourself, and then being open. So mm-hmm. if if you're open and the suggestions make sense, mm-hmm. fine, that's great. But if they don't make sense, then yeah, you kind of have to stick to your guns. But oh yeah, you know, you know, the problem with M Night is. Um, and and I don't feel that he's a bad director or or anything like that. But he does get a lot of bad press from some of his films. Um, oh yes. And maybe maybe there are times when when M Night needs to uh, be a little bit more open to suggestions. Mm. Yes. Um, because everybody has some good ideas, um, and they should be listened to. Um, I mean, we were. I was on this one set. Um, it was a film about breast cancer, and it was mm. written by this woman. And you know, she was doing it with her own money, and she was directing it. And there were things that were lacking in the script. And we tried to bring some suggestions that we thought were uh, one logical, uh, two that would enhance the story. Mm. But she was she was adamant about not changing anything. And unfortunately, her project um, did not turn out to be a successful venture. So mm-hmm. there was there's a time when, you know, yes, stick to your guns, stick to your to your principles, stick to your passion. 
but be open. And yeah. if something does work and something does enhance what you have originally, there's no there's no attack on your pride of accepting it. Um, you know, oh, I, I didn't think of that, so I'm not putting it in. Now nah, that's 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 yeah, crazy. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think Weinstein's going to be telling anyone to do anything oh, no, uh, anytime any soon. <laughs> no, no, no. He's in a New York. He's in. Uh, guess I think an ankle bracelet in New York City. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yikes. He's not going anywhere soon. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. So let's end, <laughs> oh, let's end it on Weinstein, I guess. I don't know if that's a good way to end it or not. But, uh, you know, oh, yeah. Life is what it is, I guess. Oh, yeah. All right, Phil, thank you very much, man. I appreciate yeah. it. And, uh, yeah, Phil, I did, appreciate as far it. Thank you. As, um, yeah, as far as, uh, let me just throw this out there. Um, I never really looked at it that way. Like I said, I just, you know, I write, I want to write and, you know, throw it at someone and go make it. But I know, you know, it doesn't work that way. So um, I will um, take that as food for thought. And uh, Fabian, hey, thanks for chiming in, brother. Yeah, awesome Oh, thank you. To thank you, sir. Thank you. Let's thank catch you up for having soon. me. And, All right. Uh, we'll talk soon. That's though. it, guys. Go do whatever it is you guys do. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.